What's up, my friends? Welcome to Good Human, a show on the Cheap Seats Network where we chat about wellness, lifestyle, navigating this crazy world, and just doing our best to be a good human. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. What's up, my friends? I just walked through a spider web. It's one thing to have that happen outside, but to be walking in your own home and then feel the presence of a web on your face, it's extremely unsettling to know that you are in the presence of a spider but you don't see said spider. Charlotte has set up shop in my house and is just making her webs everywhere, but doesn't have the the gall to show herself. Is that a real statistic that we swallow like a certain amount of spiders every year? Or did someone make that up? Because as far as I know, I sleep with my mouth closed and I would like to move forward with my life feeling peace that that is not a true fact. So if anybody knows, hit me up. So with that breaking news and pressing question out of the way, Welcome back to another episode of Good Human. Today we're doing something new. We're having a little book club, all right? I have read quite a few really, really amazing books lately that I just want to like shout off the rooftops about. So that's what I'm going to do here today. I suppose it's less of a book club and more of like a spark notes with my own personal commentary. But if you've read any of these books that I'll be talking about through this series, please hit me up because I would love to chat about them. But until then... You're going to hear me summarize them, tell you how much I love them, tell you why I love them, and tell you why I think you should read them too. So each episode of Book Club, I'm going to pick one book to go over, and all of these books are primarily around the theme of books that will change the way you view life or change the way you live your life, because those are kind of my favorite thing right now, and I like to describe them as like non-cringe self-help books. Because I can't in good faith just call them a self-help book because, listen, I used to be a self-help book girly and some of the books that I have on my bookshelf are flat out embarrassing and a lot of them really just symbolize everything that I'm not about anymore, which is so ironic, but relevant to today's book because I kind of thought that I could self-help book myself into a happy life. And the book that we are discussing today is called Radically Content, Being Satisfied in an Endlessly Dissatisfied World. This book is by Jamie Varon. I follow her on Instagram as well. And this is a pretty newly released book. I bought it like right when she had put it out. And I feel like there's a lot in it that is just so relevant to like current times. So I'm going to read you the little summary on the back so we kind of know what we're diving into today. So the back of the book, which also is a hardback book. Love that. I'm personally a hardback book queen. I love a hardback book. I don't know if that's an unpopular opinion or not, because I guess soft, softback books? Is that what they're called? Softback books are more malleable, so you could maybe like roll it up a little more and get a little comfier with it, but ah, there's just something about a hard shell book that I adore. But I will give a caveat that I hate a hardback book that has a cover over it, because then, like, the paper cover just gets weird. I end up having to take the cover off entirely. This doesn't have that. This is just, she's just a hardback book. No paper cover. You got all the text and all the pretty pictures just right on the hardback book. And I'm going to get myself back on track right now and read the back of the book to you. So the little summary on the back reads, opt out of societal expectations and create a life you never have to escape from. Too many of us are waiting for our lives to begin putting our happiness on layaway for some future version where it all lines up, when we've accomplished it all, when we have the perfect career, bodies, partners, and when our lives finally feel good enough. But what is good enough? Who gets to decide? And when do we ever reach it? 
In Radically Content, author Jamie Varon makes the case for new framework of living, exploring themes like guilt, happiness, anxiety, settling, control, healing, shame, and being our own worst enemies. Not only will you unlearn the dogma of dissatisfaction, but learn practical tools to create a more satisfied life for yourself, including cultivating real self-trust, defining your own version of success, living with intention, rewriting your personal narrative, and creating consistent and healing rituals. We've learned to be terrified of contentment, thinking that it will lead us to complacency. Yet, being content in a world that profits off of our dissatisfaction is not complacency. It's revolutionary. Find your freedom with Radically Content. Ooh, it just gets me so excited. This is everything. This book, I feel like, is so, so relevant to so many things that we are feeling, which I'm going to talk about at the very end after I've gone through it a little bit more. It just feels like it fell into my lap at the perfect timing, and I really love the way that the author writes. It's really warm and, like, conversational, but still really well-written. It feels like you're kind of talking to a friend, and it's so relatable. I read stuff throughout this that I was like, yes, 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 me, 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 this is me, hello, hi, did I write this book? Which I just love that feeling when something really resonates with you. This is also a pretty easy read. It's like 200 pages. The chapters are each pretty short. I was reading it kind of a chapter at a time because I'm not the best reader, especially when I have a lot on my mind. I'm that person that reads an entire page and then is like, wait, what did that say? And then I have to go back and reread it. But this, I did not feel that way at all. It completely captured my attention, but also the chapters weren't super lengthy, so I felt really satisfied just doing one chapter at a time. So this book is broken up into two parts. Part one is titled To Unlearn and part two is titled To Learn. So the first half of the book focuses on all the stuff we got to unlearn and then the second part of the book focuses on all the stuff we can implement into our life, both of which parts contribute to living a happier, more content life in a world where we're taught and encouraged to be unhappy. So I'm gonna run through all of the chapters and just give a little a little summary and kind of talk more in depth about the chapters that really hit home with me. And I don't know if this is the best way to structure these book club episodes. So if you have any suggestions, let me know. But for today, I'm really just gonna walk through each of the chapters and talk about my favorite points and stuff that really stuck out to me. So the first chapter is called Being Dissatisfied is Normal. So again, keep in mind that all of these first handful of chapters are stuff we need to unlearn. So we're unlearning that being dissatisfied is normal. I think this is a really good introductory chapter and kind of sets up the concepts for the rest of the book. So she opens by explaining how we think that dissatisfaction breeds motivation and that we think being content means that we've given up in some way or that being content is going to lead to us being complacent. And those feelings of dissatisfaction are especially encouraged under capitalism because insecurities and unhappiness and dissatisfaction makes money. And especially when the goals and ideals are always changing. It's like an endless way to make money. Constantly creating more ways for people to have insecurities and problems and compare themselves to other people so that they can sell more stuff. And we're at the point now where solutions are being created to problems that don't exist. Like solutions are being created so that there can be a perceived problem that people then feel like they have to fix, which we see 
all the time with beauty standards, especially because they're always changing. So many of the standards and expectations set for women were created to make money. Cellulite was never a thing that was called out as a problem or something that needed to be fixed until somebody realized that they could make money off of it. They could profit off telling people that it's ugly and you should buy this cream to fix it. It's crazy to realize how many things that we subscribe to are truly just scams. Again, made up solutions to problems that don't exist in the first place. So Jamie goes on in this chapter to talk about how she lived her life thinking that this was just normal, that there was just always something to fix and something to hate about yourself and about your life and something else to obtain next, that that's just life. And I resonate with that so deeply. I feel like it completely sums up my college experience and kind of how everything came to a head for me. This is the exact concept that completely destroyed my mental health and made me finally go to therapy where I began to actually unlearn this stuff. I realized I had no self-esteem beyond external validation, no self-trust, was always trying to get the thing that would finally make me happy. Because I didn't feel like I deserved to be happy in the present moment. I didn't feel like I deserved to be happy until XYZ, whatever it was, because it was constantly changing. And Jamie shares her personal story throughout this entire book of how this culture of the more, 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 better, better, better has impacted her. And specifically, she talks a lot about her relationship with her body and her weight and also her career. So the first chapter really highlights the unfortunate system that we live in and the overlying message of unlearning it, to be liberated and content in a world that tells us we can't be. Chapter two is titled More is Always Better, and in this chapter, she really starts to dive into her career as a writer, and she dives even more into living in an achievement-driven world and that kind of do-more trap that we fall into and how we kind of construct our lives around the perception of success and wanting things in life because of how it looks to other people. So this chapter really explores how more isn't better, and she asks what if the happiest life isn't the most impressive life to everyone else? And this chapter really ties into chapter three for me, which is I'll be happy when dot dot dot, which is a concept I talk about a lot because it's been one of the most impactful things that I've unlearned. And I'm going to read the quote that this chapter starts out with because I just love it so much. It says, learning how to be happy, not when, but now, is the real work of life. Not when it all lines up, but now, in the messiness of being alive. So just like in the last chapter, how a lot of us fall into that trap of thinking that more is always better, we also think that happiness is earned and achieved. That you'll be happy when. You'll be happy one day, once you've done this once you've lost the weight, once you've got the job, once you've married the person, and that our right nows are often not enough, and they're often not enough because they're real life, and they have real obstacles and problems that come with it. But the made-up, I'll be happy whens that we have in our head, we don't usually consider the problems and the obstacles that would come with that, because it's like our dream situation. We usually aren't thinking, I'll be happy when I make X amount of money and then going on to think about all the problems that might arise in that situation. So it's almost like we build up this fantasy in this perfect world in our head around our I'll be happy when, when it doesn't end up even looking like that realistically. And that's the reason why we fail to enjoy our right nows and why our right nows often aren't enough because those have real obstacles and problems. And this puts us in the never-ending loop of never enough and I'll be happy when. And she talks a lot about her relationship with her body 
and in 2018 how she took a trip to France after a year of self-work and what that trip really looked like for her. She talks about how she's in Paris at that time after she's done a lot of self-work, she realizes that she has to make a decision. I'm gonna read another quote. It says, I realized I only had two real choices. I could let my self-esteem go up and down with the perceived approval or disapproval of the many strangers I was coming in contact with on a daily basis, or I could like my body exactly the way it is and just be free. I could wait for permission from all these strangers, never fully grasping it because how do you get permission from people you never meet or talk to? I could let the opinion I perceived they had of me determine how I was going to enjoy this precious time in a beautiful city, or I could just stop caring what they thought. And I love that little paragraph so much because it really breaks it down. Like, what are we really doing here? Why are we trying to get all this external validation and permission to be approved and accepted just to feel happy when we could just not care what other people think of us because it doesn't impact us literally at all. And she just goes on to say that we end up robbing ourselves of our own lives because we're just waiting to be happy someday. So chapters two and three for me really go hand in hand. Love them so much. I mean, I love this book so much, but I will call out my like absolute favorite chapters when I get to them. So moving on to the next chapter, chapter four, it's called I Can Never Settle. She talks about how we all want to never settle, but what does settling even mean? Like settling is different for each of us. My settling might be your dream life or vice versa. Settling isn't like a predetermined thing. It's very subjective. And she says in this chapter, I was so concerned with always living my absolute best life that I didn't spend time building a good life at all. She explains that settling, the concept of settling, it isn't definitive or measurable. It's a feeling. So what is that feeling? What are the feelings we're experiencing behind the idea of settling? She talks a lot about societal expectations and the roadmaps that we're supposed to have and all the things that we're supposed to be doing. And a lot of that is tied to our age. Like you should be doing X by age 25 and you should be doing Y by age 30. And if you're not doing those things, then you're falling behind. And this chapter is really just about how to kind of unlearn and get out of that mindset because we don't have a predetermined path in front of us. We don't have to follow this roadmap of what we're supposed to be doing at a certain point of our life. Chapter five and the fifth idea to unlearn is I'm my own worst enemy and so is everyone else. We are so brutally mean to ourselves, which is something that I talk about a lot. And that's kind of what this chapter focuses on in working through the bully in your head, essentially, and why we as individuals are so hard on ourselves. And again, that's like an individual experience and journey in really working to unravel it all because you don't have to be your worst enemy and everyone is not out to get you. Chapter six is called Social Media Makes Me Feel Bad. And this one is relevant in so many ways, especially because I took the month of June off of social media because it was making me feel so bad. So a lot of the stuff was like, ooh, Okay, okay, I hear you. I hear you. I think this chapter really explains how all this stuff is tied together, informs our perception of everything, including how we use and perceive things on social media. Jamie talks about how social media is sort of an unwinnable game in comparison, specifically. Like, we feel bad when we're comparing ourselves to others, but we also feel good sometimes. Like, we 
make ourselves feel better by comparing ourselves to other people sometimes. All of this is still comparison at the end of the day. So this chapter again really goes into working on our perceptions of life and ourselves offline because that directly impacts how we view things and interact with things online. Chapter 7 is called Shame Motivates Me because a lot of us use shame as a motivation tool to make changes. We view shame as like a form of inspiration and Jamie talks more about her body in this section which is really relatable I found in how shame really fueled her to make changes in her body which all that did was put her in this toxic cycle of shame. And she talks more about because sometimes we're viewing shame as a motivator, how it impacts our relationship to shame. And there's just so many good quotes in this book. But she says, I assumed that letting go of the shame cycle would make me lazy and complacent. A lot of us think this without perhaps knowing we even do. It's an insidious belief created under the guise of motivation. We think that the one thing keeping us going is the past version of us we're trying to outrun. If only we could prove that one person wrong, if only we could prove to our parents we're worthy. If only we could rewrite the past with our current successes. To which she basically explains that that's not possible. That's not how it works. You can't outrun shame and get to a place where you no longer feel shame by feeling shame. You can't outshame shame. Chapter 8 and the 8th idea to unlearn is self-love is pretty and easy. Which again, so relevant. I feel like I see more and more people calling this out. And the whole idea is that self-love isn't like the face masks and the getting your nails done. It's way more than that. And Jamie specifically calls out that it's more of unlearning because self-love is the default. No one's born hating themselves. That's completely a taught behavior in the society that we live in. We're taught not to love ourselves and we're taught to be unkind to ourselves. And again, much of that is related to making money off of people and keeping people down. So in this chapter, Jamie really redefines what self-love is and talks a lot about realigning ourselves and sort of forgetting all of those outer expectations that have been put on us. Chapter 9 is the last chapter in the To Unlearn section, and this one is one of my favorite chapters and probably one of the most needed ones for me, and that is, I should feel guilty. And I am kicking it off with another quote because it's too good. She says, guilt is the course correction for people pleasers. I feel like that's just one of those quotes and one of those moments when you're like, damn. And I had so many of those throughout this book, which is why I love it so much. And she calls out how this is especially true for women. Like we are constantly shrinking ourselves and feeling guilt in order to appease other people. So she talks a lot about what guilt even stems from and how we can become self-serving and sort of redefine what that even means and how we can live our lives without apology. So that brings us to part two, which is to learn. So this section is all about things you can implement in your life mindset shifts you can make, things you can apply to your life in an individual way to, again, be radically content. This section starts off with chapter 10, which is titled, Be Intentional About Your Life. There was one particular section of this chapter that was such a great analogy. It says, think of a romantic relationship. Imagine your partner saying one thing and their actions lining up with another reality entirely. They say they love you, but they act in a way that doesn't really convey that sentiment. The relationship you have with yourself is the exact same way. If you say you want something, truly, 
and then act in direct opposition to it, it creates an internal struggle. It creates dissatisfaction. It creates anxiety. It creates unhappiness. When you align what you most want with your daily actions, something blooms within you. Something wonderful. Something joyful. You're listening to yourself. Think of that same relationship. How it feels when that person says they love you and then acts in that way, holds your heart with tenderness and responsibility, listens to you and cherishes what you have to say, loves you with both their words and their actions. That's how intentional life feels. Ooh, I can feel my nose starting to tingle. That almost makes me emotional because those kinds of analogies in getting yourself outside of yourself, putting things in perspective is just like so thought-provoking and really makes you realize like we all deserve to be in that second example of that relationship, but so many of us aren't even giving that to ourselves. This chapter focuses a lot on creating a why behind everything that you do and how that is sort of the basics of intentional living. Because if you don't have a why, a reason behind doing everything you're doing, then are you really being intentional with your life? Chapter 11 is titled The Freedom of Consistency. This is another one of my favorite chapters. This in particular is both a huge revelation for me in recent years, but also something that I still struggle with. And that is how do you balance ambition and not putting your worth in your achievements? And that's where consistency comes in. And she talks a lot about keeping your own promises, not to achieve things, not to get external validation, but for you. And consistency, in my opinion, is probably one of the most important things in life. And it's so underrated in the world that we live in when we want like the big quick fix, which inevitably doesn't work. When you could make small, simple changes consistently and literally change your life. Part of this chapter that I love, 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 which is something I've been really trying to think more about lately, is how consistency is freeing because you're thinking about your future self. You're getting out of that immediate gratification headspace, really thinking about what is going to be best for your future self. And this is something that I've been trying so hard to do lately. It really helps me avoid self-sabotage. Even just like a little example of filling up the Brita, like the water filter in my fridge before I go to bed. Do I want to stand there and fill it up at 10 p.m. when I'm tired and ready to crawl into bed? No, but am I going to feel so much better in the morning when I have fresh cold water to drink? Absolutely. So I'm going to do that for her. I'm going to do that for my future self. And there's a quote in this chapter. She says, how can I make my future self's life easier? And so much of this comes from consistency. Chapter 12 is called The Beauty of Experimentation, and this chapter is really just all about trying things and exploring what we want and what's actually meant for us, not what we think will be the most impressive or what we think the world wants of us. Chapter 13, which is the third super favorite of mine, and that is release the need for control. Control and perfectionism have been some of the biggest focuses in my life in recent years in terms of unlearning things and overcoming things. So this chapter automatically stuck out to me. And this chapter starts off by saying, we worry, we stress, and we activate our anxiety trying to control the future, a future that is by nature uncertain. But in that uncertainty, we try to make these lavish plans. This is how this will go. This is how life will work for me. This is what will make me happy. We make the lists and the plans and then become stressed and disappointed when our plans don't go to plan. 
when we didn't even need to make the lavish plan in the first place. It stems from one very particular place, the idea that we know exactly what will make us happy and if only we could get it, we'd be better off. Which she goes on to explain how control just ends up limiting you. And she says, control can be cunning in this way. It gives us the idea that we can actually control the way things unfold for us. For a lot of us, we feel safe in claiming control. But what I have come to understand is that our plans are usually based in only two things. One, what you see other people have and think that you should want. And two, your past and what you think is possible for yourself. Neither of these things is expansive. Control limits how good it could be. Which again, I feel like that was one of those paragraphs where you're like, whoa, wait, because when you actually think about it, you don't really know what you'll want in the future. We might think we know, but there's no actual way to know for sure. So the rest of this chapter really focuses on how our most aligned life comes from truly releasing control and comparison. And I think this chapter is probably my favorite and definitely one that I can see myself coming back to a lot. I can see myself coming back to this entire book quite often, but this chapter in particular, ooh, it hits home. Third to last chapter, chapter 14, is titled Cultivate Real Self-Trust. And she talks a lot about the commercialization of self-love and self-care and the monetization of it all and how self-care is kind of a trend these days and it's just another way to make money and it's truly a misinterpretation of what it really means and how we wouldn't need self-love without self-hatred and same thing with self-care we wouldn't need self-care without some form of self-neglect and how again that's all really tied to capitalism and how that's that's kind of the goal like they don't want us to love ourselves because then we'd stop trying to fix stuff and then we'd stop buying stuff and she goes on to say that This really isn't an issue of lack of self-love, but lack of self-trust and how important keeping promises to yourself is and listening to your needs and your emotions and honoring that. And there's so much good stuff in this chapter because she really dives into self-trust and she explains how discernment is the basis of self-trust. She calls it the masterclass of self-trust. And I'm so sorry to keep reading quotes, but I'm just not going to do it justice paraphrasing. So she says, I can watch another woman's life on Instagram now and not try to make her wrong. That is her path, her journey. She's done the work to find what lights her up and who am I to say she shouldn't have that? I can watch her life and take the pieces that feel valuable and relevant to me. I can discern between what's for me and what isn't without lobbying a judgment at her. What we judge in others, we judge in ourselves. And I spent so much time not being discerning that I learned to judge others on successes they may have had before me, which meant that I judged myself whenever I got to that level. I judged my desires without discerning what's for me and what's not. And that was something that I never really thought about that way. And I just, oh, I love that paragraph. I love this whole section on discernment. Love this chapter as well. Quick run through in the last two chapters. Chapter 15 is super short. It's called Let Life Be Easy on You, and it's all about living lightly in a really heavy world and how we don't need to be putting more pain and suffering into ourselves and into our lives when not necessary. And the last chapter, chapter 16, is called Write New Narratives for Yourself. And this chapter is about how we really let our perceptions and the story that we tell ourselves to drive our lives. And she shares a really powerful exercise to get out of that sort of fixed story that we might have about ourselves and to get out of that negativity and feeling like there's no way you could ever change. 
And this chapter in the book really wraps up on allowing yourself to be happy and taking that lead in your own life. So if you couldn't tell already, I'm utterly obsessed with this book. I give it a five out of five. Five, five stars, five hearts, five books. I think this is a must read, especially for this sort of awakening I feel like so many of us are having. I think us younger generations are like viscerally aware that life in these systems that are in place that we live in are constructed for us to lose. And we're figuring out how we can break free of that, which this book just perfectly encapsulates being satisfied in an endlessly dissatisfied world world. At the end of the day, we all just want to be happy. So we chase and we look outside of ourselves for answers when all of the answers and all of the power literally lies within us. And I feel like this book is just the perfect book for whatever point in that journey you're in. And again, this is totally a book that I'm going to come back to. This isn't like a one and done. I could see myself constantly rereading this because these things take practice to unlearn and they take practice to implement and they're always things that we might need reminded of from time to time things that we need to stay mindful of and conscious of again because of this world that we live in these sad systems that we live within are not going to reinforce this information and they're not going to encourage us on this journey so i highly recommend grabbing this book for your shelf and i will surely be coming back to it in the future So that's that on the first book club. It is getting past my bedtime. I recorded this episode way later than I usually do, so my energy might be a little lower, but that's maybe a vibe for the book club. Like, we're having a little cozy night in, we're chit-chatting, we're on a journey to being radically content together. Let me know if you have any book suggestions, if there's any books that you feel really changed the way that you viewed life. I finally just bought Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And I bought the little journal that comes with it. I found it at Target. It's like an untamed journal and I'm so excited to dive into it. I've heard nothing but good things about both that book and that author. So that's definitely one coming in the future. I also just got another book in the mail called The Wisdom of Your Body, which is all about finding healing and connection through embodied living. I'm really excited about this one. This is going to be my plane read on my way to vacation this week. So stay tuned for a future episode on that. And again, if you have any recommendations, please send them my way. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Literally means the world to me when you guys listen and when you send messages and we get to connect with each other on topics that I know so many of us feel. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you have a Gorgina week and until next time, see ya!